I'm Anna Horford, and you're listening to the Celtics Life Podcast. Welcome inside the Celtics Life Podcast as we enter the final frame of the 2017-18 NBA season. We're pretty sure we're looking at the team we'll be going into the postseason with, but there could be surprises, so let's get right to talking about them. I'm Justin Quinn, here with Louis Gonzalez. Louis, what do you think about all this? I don't know, man. This is always the weirdest part of the season because at this point, everyone is sort of locked in, kind of, sort of. I mean, with a team like the Heat, they could conceivably fall out. The Pistons could sneak in. But more or less, I think we're looking at the teams that are going to be in the playoffs in both the East and the West. Um, But... In some cases, like the Heat, like the teams are still fighting for playoff spots. Uh, Boston may or may not be the number one seed. We'll see. At this point, it seems kind of unlikely. But I say another 10 games in, and we're going to start to see teams kind of just sort of coasting to the finish after a long 82-game season getting ready to gear up for the playoffs, which I think will be really 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 good this year especially it's it's going to be weird seeing the 76ers back in the playoffs potentially i mean it looks at this point it looks like their spot is yeah i mean i, mean, I guess they could drop possible out, but, but yeah um yeah but i don't know I, I i didn't think in my lifetime i'd ever see the 76ers in the playoffs obviously i'm kidding but after all of the trusting of the process i guess you know, I, I guess the process is coming around. Not to say that a 34 and 28 record is anything to go crazy about, but hey, it's better than winning 15, 18 games. Absolutely. Just so people are kind of on the same page as us, I know you, most of your listeners don't happen to have this information in front of them at the moment. So. If the season ended today, the playoff seeding one through eight would be Raptors, Celtics, Cavs, Pacers, Wizards, 76ers, Bucks, and then the Heat for the last slot. They are currently 12-point games behind the Raptors, who are in first place. Uh, Boston is, I believe, two games behind? Yeah. And... It's going to be pretty hard for Boston to catch the Raptors, like you were saying. We basically have to beat them both times that we play them for the rest of the season and catch a lucky break or two. Whereas at the other end, we're looking at the Heat having a pretty good hold on that last slot at 12.5 games behind, with Detroit being the next closest at 16.5. And with 20 games or so or less, remaining in the season for most teams, it seems really unlikely that Detroit is getting in or that Miami is going to fall out. Never mind Philadelphia, two slots ahead of them. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree. We are just about at the point where we can see who is going to be where, barring any major surprises in terms of injuries or, in the case of Boston, the end of an injury, which I think we should probably talk about. Now, There was some pretty big news this week. It wasn't good news exactly. I guess you could say it's good news long term, but we heard some definitive comments from Brad Stevens that Gordon Hayward is not coming back this season. What do you think about that? So I was literally almost about five minutes ago talking about this with my fiance. And I, at, at this point, I'm kind of hoping that they just hold him out because let's look at the best case scenario. Boston sneaks into the NBA finals and somehow Gordon Hayward is ready to come back. If they do decide to give him the green light to start playing in the, in the finals, this hypothetical situation, you're asking a guy who hasn't played a, I mean, I mean, he played a minute of basketball all season is coming back from a pretty serious injury. You're asking him to come presumably off the bench to contribute in the NBA finals. 
I don't like the prospects of him being even somewhat successful in that scenario. It's just, it's, it's not worth it. He's going to be super timid, understandably so. Um, it's, it's just not, I, I don't, I, I need, I think we really need, it would be, it would be great. You know, I think it would be a huge like boost in the locker room. Uh, it would give the team like that extra edge. If again, they somehow ended up in the NBA finals or even in the conference finals, whatever the case may be. But to, to say that he's going to come back and contribute in any meaningful way this season I, I think it's 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 still a, a pipe dream, 100%. I will differ just a little bit. I do think that you are right. I think that the likelihood of him contributing at a high level for significant minutes, particularly against some of the better teams in the league doing some of their better work of the season, is very unrealistic. I don't think it's out of the question that on one hand – Brad Stevens said what he said to, to, you know, really compress some of those expectations that have really been bubbling up for the videos that have been coming out, showing him doing, doing some shooting and on-court drills. They're very relaxed ones, admittedly, and they don't have any lateral emotion involved, which is really going to be the thing that's going to be hardest for him. I do think that later in the playoffs, he might be able to contribute on the second unit in limited minutes when he doesn't have to face the best of the best defenders. But again, he's going to probably be the worst person on defense for the rest of the season, no matter, even as you said, the best case scenario. So at this point, I tend to agree with you. I don't think we should be thinking very much about how we're going to integrate Gordon Hayward into the rotation when we are just starting to figure out how to fit in Greg Monroe into the rotation effectively. So we didn't make any moves in the buyout market unless you want to consider Greg Monroe. You know, I mean, that, that was definitely a buyout. It came out before the trade deadline. So the, the chronology of, you know, the quote unquote buyout market, we didn't make any more moves, I guess you could say. You think that was the right move? I mean, I think so in retrospect because I don't know about you, or maybe you can enlighten me here, but do you know a single buyout player, or a play, I should say player that was bought out, that is making any significant contributions to his team right now? Well, there are a couple of people who I think might have been useful. Joe Johnson might have been useful as some deep rotation help. But, you know, I mean, Ersan Ilyasova maybe could have been interesting. You know, there's, there's, there's a couple of people who were out there that ended up going to other teams that could have been useful. But there's also beyond this season to think about the, the – there's no more roster spots. Someone would have had to get cut to make space for them. And that means either Yabusele or Nader, really, or maybe Larkin. Larkin can, can contribute in significant minutes already. And I don't think anyone who was out there would have been able to do any better. Nader, arguably, you know, when you weigh the fact that his future with the Boston Celtics is very cheap, cheaply controlled contract for several years in the future. I think he's got three more years after this one. That is going to be crucial to, to, you know, deep rotation to rotation, wherever he pans out as a player in terms of keeping us under the tax as much as possible, as long as possible to keep this core together. And Yabusele, you could make an argument because he's not producing now, but I mean, he's also under contract for several years and he might become a useful part of the rotation in the future. You know, you have to remember he was a first round pick. Maybe he shouldn't have been, but, you know, because of the, the financial situation at the time of him being willing to take on, you know, multiple seasons overseas to make everything come to fruition that we have now, kind of kind of a crap move to just dump him once it's, you know, a little, a little useful to get a little production out of someone. But I don't think either, either of the, the people I mentioned or really anybody who was, you know, Shabazz Muhammad is another person who was out there. He has no defense. He can score. He can get his own shot a little bit, but I don't know if he's really worth bringing into the rotation either. I can't think of anybody who would have been worth bringing in. So personally, I'm comfortable with the fact that now they're turning their attention 
to Greg Monroe and fitting him into the rotation, I think that that's going to be enough of a challenge based on how different his game is, even with the skills that he possesses to give us, you know, a post-game where we really had no second-unit scoring. Not talking about recently, but before we got him, that's something else we can talk about later. I think there's a lot of potential to Greg Monroe now that they're really finding ways to get him to integrate with people who just really had absolutely no practice with the kind of game that he has in a meaningful way this season. So what are your thoughts about Greg Monroe? I got to be honest. The first, I think me and everybody else that watched the first two or three games that after he got traded uh, to, well, not traded, after we picked him up, um, he looked horrible. He looked very slow, very out of sorts. Like he was just, he had no idea what he was doing. Um, the pick and rolls were really bad. Like he kept basically running into, into other Celtics players. And I'm like, Oh my God, no, this is going to end up like another, like another bad buyout acquisition that just doesn't end up panning out. And it, he ends up being more of a detriment than anything else. But then he started coming around and he had like an 18 point game, not the, not the Houston game. He had a, a game before that. Forget who we were playing. It was something point game. Charlotte. Yeah. Something like that. He, he, he scored in, in double figures and I was like, all right, I didn't see the game, but I saw the box score and I was like, all right, that's nice. And then against Houston, he looked really good. And I remember telling you guys in the chat that we have, like, wow, like, he looks like he's actually pretty comfortable in the system. Granted, it's been, I mean, he's been in Boston, what, about two, three weeks at this point? I think eight games, yeah. Yeah, so about, we'll, we'll say about two weeks. Um, so you, you're not expecting the guy to just slot in and be a 20-point-per-game guy. I mean, he never was. But if we picked him up, and he can produce an 18-point game here, there, a 10-rebound game there. Crucial, absolutely. You know, some sort of mish, mix mix and match of that. I'm fine with it. I mean, I don't think anybody expected him to come in. and. I mean, I, some people did. They, they saw the, the pickup as like a as the move that took us over the top and the, the move that would get us past Cleveland, which I think was a bit overblown. I don't. But I it, think this might get us past Cleveland just because they don't really have anyone who matches up with him that well besides I mean, maybe but, Tristan Thompson. But my point being that he's more of a complimentary. He's one less thing that we have to worry about in terms of like rebounding and somebody who can also give us that scores, like off the bench scoring punch. A la Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart, not Marcus Smart, not so much scoring, but the defense and all of that. Like he's just another, he's another, he's, a, he's another cog in the. Yeah, he's like another tool in our toolbox. He's not. It's not like we picked up. Like if we would have picked up a, I don't know, Tyreek Evans, like a, like a like a Lou Will. If we would have picked up Lou Will, that's that's a pretty significant move because. Well, I don't know. It's kind of the same because he scores a lot, but he plays no defense. Yep. But our biggest our biggest issue is scoring. So I guess it it would have worked out either way. But I would have I would have put more weight into a, an acquisition like that or pickup like that than I did into the Greg Greg Monroe thing. But I mean, I think in another week or two, I may be eating my eating my words because. If the Houston game was any indication, I think he's like really trying to make his mark, and like he looks like he may want to actually play here. I mean, he seems pretty pretty into it. You know, he's always been very vocal about wanting to learn the system and wanting to learn uh, just about the team itself. He really seems like he's buying in, at least for now, you know, with some adversity, that might not be the case, but he did face him early on and responded in exactly the way that we want to see, at least recently. You know, like you said, we still have to see the progression for for us to really believe in it, but I'm pretty happy with what I'm seeing. And I think that, you know, there's a real chance to build off of that and to really develop 
a varied repertoire of options that we're going to really need in the playoffs. You know, we really, we don't just need scoring. We also need to be able to beat different kinds of teams in different kinds of ways. And this is something that can really help us with that, particularly with teams. They either have very little, you know, post presence of their own to combat this or teams that aren't so good at dealing with passing big men. So speaking of the playoffs, maybe it's time to start thinking about playoff seeding. You know, because right now we are we are not where we would want to be with the Cavs in their current position because we'd be facing them in the second round and at the finals, the, the conference finals. That could really suck if it doesn't go like I think it's going to go. I think we're going to beat them pretty handily. I think we're going to, to beat them in five or six games. I don't think it's going to go to seven games if everybody's healthy on both teams, just because I think that they've really shaken up their, their core and they still have to work in Kevin Love, who won't be back to the very end of the season. You know, he's still a couple of weeks out probably. So that's going to be pretty difficult for them. And it's the all-offense-sometimes team, you know. So I think that there's going to be one or two games that are going to, they're going to whoop our ass again. But I think the rest of the, the series, I don't think they're going to be they're going to be so so capable against us. One of the things is that we can't assume that Cleveland is going to be the third. There you go. Thank you. Or, or the second, the third, or the fourth seed at this point. Cleveland. I mean, okay, so. Looking at the standing right in front of me right now, Cleveland mm-hmm. is thirty six and twenty six, right? They're th- they're a th- number three seed right now. The Pacers are thirty six and twenty seven, so they're a game behind. I don't know if the Pacers have any games in hand or if Cleveland has any. I don't I don't know what the what the um schedules. what the matchup is. yeah what the schedules have been for Cle- between Cleveland and the and the Pacers. So. It could be a game. The Pacers could be a game behind. It could be half a game behind. I'm not sure. But then the Wizards are 36 and 28. So if we're just looking at these standings and not factoring in head-to-head matchups, two games behind. They've lost three straight. Cleveland has lost two straight. The Pacers have won two straight. So, I mean, conceivably, the the Cavs could be the, the fifth seed by the end of the week. It's really possible. And by then they would have made, what, 15, 16 games left. And then you have the 76ers who are also just two games behind Cleveland. And I saw a tweet last night or at some point yesterday um, that if the 76ers had won their game last night, which they didn't, they would have been the three seed. Because I, I'm guessing the 76ers have beaten Cleveland at least once or twice this season. So uh, they beat them once. They definitely beat them once pretty recently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this whole thing about we don't want to be the two seed because we can, you know, we can face Cleveland. I think Cleveland has to worry more about their seeding than we have to worry about ours. Because at this point, I, I feel fairly confident saying that. We're either going to be the one or the two seed. Cleveland can be three or six. So, you know, we got to pump the brakes on that one. Let's not get too worried about being the two seed because if we get to the second round, we'll be playing Cleveland. Uh, Let's worry about, let's make sure that Cleveland is the three seed and not the six seed. So, the way that it looks right now, we, uh, if the season ended today, we would be looking at facing the Bucks in the first round, which is very far from my ideal situation. Granted, I think we will beat them, but of the, of the more likely candidates, the 76ers, the Bucks, and the Heat, you know, I, I personally, I would like to see us take on the Heat. I think they would be the easiest first round candidate. I think the 76ers are about as hard as the Bucks, but... I do think that we have a formula for beating them, and I'm not entirely certain that with their lack of experience in the playoffs, they will really be able to hold their own against us. The Bucks have a little bit more in that regard, and we've had difficulty, you know, for years matching up with them. So 
For me, I really want to see us get into the first seed or at least for Milwaukee to stop being the seventh seed. It's still a ways away, so nothing to worry about just yet. But I think it's pretty important for us to be to continue trying for that for that one seed, regardless of who else is out there. I haven't always felt that way, but in this particular season, at least for now, that's where my head is at. Do you have any any uh, feelings about who we might be looking at for a first round matchup? So I I gotta stop you with the Bucks talk because I think I've been pretty vocal with you and every every other Celtics life person that I don't understand what all the hoopla is and all the concern is and all, with the Bucks like. I get it. They have Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's great. Top, what are we What are we saying at this point? Top three player in, in the league right now? Top ten for sure. Maybe t- for, for sure top five, but he pr- might might even be top three. I don't know. That's a little high for me, but I think that top five is, is defensible. Okay. I don't know what about the Bucks is so scary. You remove Giannis out of that equation. And I don't I don't I just don't get it. I don't know. There there may be people that strongly disagree with me, but in a playoff series, our team against their team, I I don't see it going more than 5 games. I I just I honestly don't. They may be a very hard fought 5 games, but there is that's my concern. there is no scenario where I see, you know, barring some sort of injury or just our team not showing up at all, playing like sort of not taking the matchup seriously, saying we're we're a two seed, we're obviously we're going to beat the the seven seed or we're a one seed, and let's say the Bucks drop to the eight, they're the eighth seed, so obviously we're going to win. No, they need, the Celtics need to show up and play. But I just don't I don't see any situation. Or any scenario where we don't beat them. I don't disagree. And that's not really my concern. I don't think any of the teams we are likely to face in the first round, we have a really worrisome chance of, of you know being defeated by. My concern is grinding really, really hard in the first round, getting tired, or worse, injured. We have historically struggled against them. And, you know, again, as to your point... I don't understand why. I, I really don't because it's really Giannis and everyone else. You know, Chris Middleton isn't too bad, and and you know Eric Bledsoe. You know, he will probably show up and, and play out for him and be something of a problem for us as well. But you know, apart from that, you know, there's very few guys on that roster that that really I think require even double coverage on a consistent basis. I mean, like, you know, Mr. Rookie of the Year, Malcolm Brogdon, is, is you know, somebody that we need to keep, you know, the scouting reports fresh on for everybody. But that's not the person who's going to be, you know, exploding as a threat in a playoff series. It's just, it's not happening, you know. And if it does, I'll eat my words happily, but I really hope I don't. And I don't expect to. So for me, the reason to be concerned here is is really just, Teams with a fair amount of depth um, in terms of not you know top to bottom, but in terms of first unit players that can give us difficulty, and they do have that of, out of all all the teams. You could argue the 76ers as well. I, I don't really relish the idea of matching up with them in the first round. Um, to me, really, the Heat is the team we want to be playing just because they have a lot of exploitability in terms of the roster and also in terms of depth. And they're a lot easier to defend. They're a lot easier to score on. So for me, Miami is a team we want to be playing first, just for those reasons. Okay. Yeah, and just like one quick note about the Heat. And, I mean, this is sort of irrelevant to anything that we just, anything that you just said or anything that I just said. But weren't the Heat supposed to be, like, the team to beat this year? And, I I mean, I hate to bring up his name. And I'm going to regret even saying his name. But I think over the off season, Skip Bayless, <laughs> please don't 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 yell at me. He he was predicting the Heat would end up like in the conference finals. I don't know where you would get that when from. He, when he said that, yeah, exactly. When he said that, then 
I was like, in, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, what do you see on that team that would lead you to come to that conclusion? Dwayne Wade is back. Because they have Dion Waiters. It's one guy. They have Dion Waiters and Goran Dragic. Dragic. Dragic? Don't forget about Hassan Whiteside. Dragic. Yeah, but but uh, don't forget about Hassan Whiteside. He's really yeah. he's really showing all the reasons why <laughs> my people like myself and I think you also were down on his defense just because it's archaic. His offense is basically non-existent away from the basket. He he can't guard the perimeter. Yeah, you know, it just I mean, Goran Dragic is good. Dwayne Wade will probably get them a win or two in whatever whoever they end up playing in the first round, unless it's us. I I would be very surprised. You know, if they get more than a win or two, if they even make the playoffs, like we said, there's still some time. But there's also a whole bunch of teams out there. They're trying to not win. Oh, boy. And and this is something I wanted to talk about with somebody as soon as I heard about it, just because I I think it's genius, and I actually have zero problem with it. I think it's, it's exactly what, what people should be doing instead of – you know, resting star players. And that is reports coming out uh, that people are using analytics backwards, so to speak. I wonder if you have any comments on people who are figuring out the absolute worst lineups they can put on the floor so they lose as many games as possible. What are your thoughts about that? I, I don't know how I feel... Well, no, I, I know how I feel about tanking or intentionally losing games. I think it's really, really sad. At the end of the day, these players are going to get paid. I don't, I don't feel bad for any of these players at all. You know, they're in the NBA, they're making millions. It is what it is. But it sucks for, like, fans... Like, I would hate to be, not the same sport, but, like, I'd hate to be a Cleveland Browns fan. Fair. That team has been terrible. I mean, if they have any fans left. That team is terrible year after year after year after year. They don't get better, even though they consistently have, like, a top, at least a top two or three draft pick. Normally, it's number one. They don't get any better. And... The, the, the whole idea behind tanking so that you get the number one pick. Number one draft picks are never guaranteed, ever. You, we always see year after year, well, this player, he's going to be the next so-and-so. Or this player, he's going to go number one and he's going to be the next so-and-so. It happens all the time. And more often than not, at least number one draft picks or top, top, top three draft picks end up being like just all right players. And in some cases they end up out of the league in two or three years. So I don't know what the big rush is to, or the big push is to tank when none of these picks are guaranteed to help your franchise in any way. I think you're, you're better off just playing well, letting the, the, the players that are on your team develop and be good players and don't, basically motivate them to lose just to bring on another young player to then motivate that young player to lose and then three or four seasons into tanking you ask everyone to get good all of a sudden it's pretty difficult it's just it's, it's ridiculous i i don't disagree on the multi-season tanking thing personally you know for a very long time until until fairly recently the, the modus operandi was just to, to you know, sell off all your veteran players with a future or a good amount of talent left in the tank, get some assets to, to re-up later, and, you know, really give your young guys, whatever young guys you have on your roster, some burn. I think that's totally fine. I, I don't see why anyone should have a problem with that. I mean, the, the draft exists for a reason, and that's how it's supposed to work. I don't even really have a problem with people kind of, you know, riding two horses in, in terms of kind of still tanking after that, the way that Boston did. Now, granted, we had Billy King to help us out. Won't get into that too much. But, I mean, even if we didn't, you know, there's been lots of, like, 
you know, partial rebuilds, particularly in small market teams that can't really stomach a long-term Philadelphia-style process rebuild. Now, as much as I admire the, you know, cojones to, to, to go ahead and do that, and also the irritation I have that they didn't just let Sam Hankey finish the job, I understand why. We don't have to get into all that. If you're going to do this tanking thing and you have good players still on your team, when people do stuff like sitting them with phantom injuries or, you know, out out in Sacramento we have Zach Randolph, who is still a very good player and can really help out a team, instead of giving him a buyout, instead of trading him away for an asset, you know, now they're sitting him every other game and – Like you said, a lot of these teams, you know, it's really hard to be a Sacramento fan, I imagine, because I'm not one for, you know, more than one reason. Just what do you, what do you do when you, you know, you finally did pay to go to a game and you go there and like Zach Randolph is one of the only players worth actually watching on that team. And he's sitting because if they play him, then they will get a crappy draft pick to me. I would rather that they use the best information they have out there to surround Zach Randolph with the worst possible players, but still have, you know, him and maybe another good player out there starting and playing significant minutes just in really nonsensical lineups that, you know, still produce really bad basketball with some good basketball from the guys you actually want to see. So I'm okay with it personally. So one of the things I really, this was an idea that's been floated around for a few years now, and I really hope that this is something that's implemented, is that, so, well, I'm going to sort of modify this idea, but basically the idea is that sort of if if your record is below a a certain threshold, every team below that threshold has the same probability of landing the number one draft pick. You know, it really does decentivize the possibility of, of tanking really, really hard. And, you know, there are some problems with it because it also doesn't really reward the teams that are trying either. But I have, year in and year out, kind of been dealing with a very similar but kind of also different way where everyone does have even odds, but it goes two ways. Let me explain. This would get rid of the draft, right? But it would make things very simple. Using playoff odds, but in reverse, so in other words, instead of who's got the better record, who's got the worst records with the same tiebreakers, but also obviously reversed, all of the even-numbered picks go to the worst teams. And all of the odd-numbered picks go to the best teams. Or you can do it the other way around, depending on who you'd rather weight the people who are actually trying but suck and don't make the playoffs or the people who are not trying. And that way, you know, at least every other pick in the high value area that has proven statistically to produce more all-star stars and superstars, both teams that are really trying hard and just missed out, get a crack at high value picks, but so do also the teams that suck without necessarily unduly rewarding some of those teams who suck multiple years in a row. One of the thoughts that came to my mind, and again, this is sort of, uh, I'm, I just have running thoughts about all of these, all of this draft stuff and tanking and so on and so forth. But for a minute here, I was, I was thinking again, like I really don't understand the, the big push to get the number one draft pick draft pick when more often than not. And tell me if you disagree most of the really, really good players in the NBA, say for like a Giannis and so on and so forth. Well, actually, no. Most of the really, really, really good players in the league right now were picked like 10 and up. You look at a guy... Let, Let me interrupt you and just say that there's actually been some very good statistical analysis over the last 20 to 30 years. And... In terms of, okay, so if you break players into categories based on all-star appearances, um, all, you know, all-NBA team elections, and 
you know, playoff appearances. There's been a, a bunch of different ways people have, have measured this in terms of stars, superstars, and, you know, good starters. There is a very strong correlation in the top three picks. For some weird reason, it goes one and three to be the most highest with two following, and then it drops off and picks back up um, around five, six, seven in most of the studies that I've seen. So that, that kind of accounts for what you're seeing. Like you have a much greater frequency for good to great players that aren't necessarily stars in that range with a couple of, you know, really distorting examples, particularly um, I was listening, listening to, I think it was the uh, Talk Hoops pod uh, with Zach, uh, Zach Harper talking with, I want to say it was Matt Moore, but it could have been James Herbert about the the 13th pick producing an unwieldy number of good players, not great players, but good players with the exception of uh, the Kings of all people uh, drafting Papa Giannis a couple of seasons ago. So, you know, there is, there is definitive, you know, historical value attached to the top three picks and it is distorted by, by boneheaded picks like, I don't know, Kwame Brown or Anthony Bennett by teams that, you know, for whatever reason made some very big mistakes at the top. But there is historical value in those top picks. The question is whether the team who's selecting is going to be using good information. And so, I mean, it gets to be a really, really complex and hairy, quote unquote, problem. And I hate to quote LeBron on a lot of issues, but in this particular one, I think he had a really good point when asked a question about draft reform. Is he's like, well, you guys want this, so there's so there's parity, and you know, it's not always the same teams winning it. Why, why do we need to fix? I mean, you know, actually, this was I'm completely wrong. This was this was about playoff seating, but th- the point is still really the same: is that there have been no real dynasties in terms of of championships. You know, more than no more no teams winning more than two in a row, no three peats since the Lakers and the Celtics. Well, not the Celtics recently, but the Lakers. And then before that, there there just really haven't been any kind of real, you know, more than two years running teams winning the championship. And they've come from both conferences with the East winning six of the last 14 or 15 years. So, I mean, we we have a pretty solid amount of parity. There might be some exhaustion around Warriors-Cavs as a narrative, but I don't think we're going to see the Warriors versus the Cavs this year by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not really sure, apart from some poorly managed teams, that the draft is in that dire need of fixing. We just did this new draft leveling process where the odds have been flattened near the top. So maybe we should just let that happen for a season or three. I think that's a really good idea. I mean, I don't. Uh, there's just there. There needs to. There needs to be some some way to. I don't even know if it's fixing it, but just sort of dissuade teams from, like you mentioned earlier, just being absolute garbage for 82 games, where 50 50 games in, fans aren't even watching the games anymore because they know that their team, their, their, their game plan is let's just go and try our best to lose. And if we win, damn, like that sucks. So, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see if the NBA does ever implement something like this, but I think if they do, it would be great. What do you think Boston's priority should be to close out the rest of the season, the regular season? Repeat what you said. What do you think Boston's priority should be to close out the regular season? That's a tough question. Because... We we have quite a few young players on our team, and I don't know. Like I said, I don't think, and I think we're both in agreement on this, I don't think that we're going to slip past the two seed, and I think that if we're at a point, let's say, with, I don't know, five games left, and we've lost both games, both of our remaining games to Toronto, and we have about five, six games left, I think you just start resting players, honestly. And you say, I mean, they're rookies, they're second-year players, they shouldn't be tired. They're exhausted. This is a point that I, that I brought up 
a few weeks back um, when Jason Tatum was beginning his his slump, his rookie, or he was hitting his rookie wall, as people like to call it. And I realized that he's not hitting a rookie wall. He's just tired. And this was also around the time where uh, we found out that he had recently had a kid. At that point, when the report came out, he was he had already been a father for about a month at least. Uh, but remember, the college basketball season, if you make it all the way to the championship game of the NCAA tournament, is about uh, what, 30 Half as long. Yeah, yeah they're about 38, 40 games. So here we are with about 18 games left, and a guy like Jason Tatum has already played a full college basketball season plus, plus, plus some. Yep. Once the season is over, Jason Tatum would have played two college basketball seasons in, you know, in the span of, what is it, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. So in about seven months. They're exhausted. Jalen Brown, only a second-year player, exhausted. Especially especially Jalen Brown, who at Cal <coughs> played, played how many games? 30 games? Because his team didn't go to the NCAA tournament, if I'm not mistaken. So... I think the priority should definitely be rest, especially for a guy like Kyrie too, who we are already seeing being rested with his lingering knee issues. A guy like Marcus Morris could probably use some rest. Al Horford for sure. I think we're starting to see the effects of him sort of starting to feel that fatigue. Uh, He says that he'll get back to his, you know, back to his regular game, but I think he probably just needs rest more so than anybody else on that team. So I definitely think that, you know, once we're in, you know, if if we're in a position that where we like beat Toronto in the two games we play them and we're, we have five games left and we need three, we need to win three games to secure the number one seed, then I think you go for it. And then you just rest, rest your players the last two games of the season. But if we're in a position where the number one seed is just sort of out of, out of our reach and, there's no way we'll drop past a second. I think you just start resting players. I think that's a reasonable assumption. I think that anybody, whether they're young or have health issues that they need to be concerned about, or, you know, in the case of Al, maybe could benefit from a little more rest just because, you know, older legs tend to get tired faster. I, I don't have a problem with limiting minutes and an occasional scratch for rest. I, I think that's probably a big part of we're recording this the same night as the Bulls game on Monday. And, you know, Kyrie Irving is sitting with knee soreness, but that might actually, you know, be real. But I kind of suspect he's had knee soreness all season and has been playing right. And I'm not worried about that. I think that's the right thing to do. I think that maybe too many, too much sitting wouldn't necessarily benefit anybody. I think that it's important, particularly with all the space in between games for the rest of the season that the Celtics are going to quote unquote enjoy. It's important that people still get enough reps in that they don't start to kind of like drift away from the system. But I kind of think that's what you're basically hinting at anyway. One of the things that we were dealing with in our most recent game against Houston is facing off against a guy who we could have snapped up ourselves, but now he's a member of the Houston Rockets. And, you know, he's another guy who could have been had in the offseason, or in the offseason, in the offseason or during the season. He was unsigned pretty late in the season. And we've been taking, you know, notes on what's been going on with ex-Celtics players around the league at points in time for the podcast that makes sense. Uh, in the segment that Topher devised called Is the Grass Greener? And I'm, of course, talking about the greenest of green ex-Celtics, Gerald Green, who's now with the Houston Rockets. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, he is formerly from Houston. So 
this is kind of the next best match for him, or maybe the best match. I'm not going to you know put words into his mouth, but he you know he really does love playing for Brad Stevens. He said as much on, on many occasions, and definitely did want to come back. And when he did come back, you know he was really lighting it up for Houston. He's since tapered off to you know typical ro- rotation numbers. You know you know sometimes cracks double digits in terms of scoring, but doesn't do too much else. But, I mean, he's still capable of exploding for, for, you know, 18, 20, 22 points off the bench when they need him to. So what do you think? Is this a better spot for him? Is the grass greener for Gerald over there? I definitely think that it is. I, I think one thing that – and I, I think it's a tragedy that we didn't re-sign him. One thing that he has more – well, more so in Houston that he did, than he did in – Boston, and that's just a, because of Brad Stevens' system. He has a green light to basically shoot whenever, whereas in Brad Stevens' system, you know, it's more about passing the ball, facilitating to other players. And that's not to say that in Houston they don't do that, because they do. They, they I think they've tried to pass the ball a lot more. But in, what what is what is Houston average? in three points attempt per game. It's like 40 attempts per game, I think, is the number. It's very high. I think if they're not the league leading, then they're very close to it. They're, they're definitely top three. I, I don't keep track on a day-to-day basis, but they have been top of the league for basically... Yeah, it's season. like it's an absurd number. So, and Gerald Green always struck me and has, I think, historically been a guy that just kind of wants to shoot the ball because that's what he's best at. Um, so... I do think that it's a better fit for him, and I, I'm, I'm happy for him. I think that he's doing well. Uh, he did, yeah, he did have that short stint where he was going off for a few games, and obviously he did taper off a little bit. But I definitely, I would be surprised if come playoff time, he isn't the reason why Houston wins a playoff game or multiple or multiple. Oh, absolutely. Like he did for us. You know, there's there's a bit of a stigma for players who leave Brad Stevens' system and go on and play elsewhere. But I think Gerald Green is one of the one of the very very few definitive grass being greener candidates out there. You could say Jonas Derebko. You know, he's having a, a slightly better season with Utah, and Jay Crowder is definitely having a better season than he was with with Cleveland. You know, by we we talked about him. I think it was last week, but. For the most part, you know, players are roughly the same and quite often a lot worse in the new, the new systems. So it's definitely good. You know, it would be a lot better to see him in that last roster spot along with Greg Monroe. That would just be a freaking, well, um, defensively terrible, but still. He's, yeah. <laughs> it's offensively brutal second unit. One of the better ones in the league, in my opinion, had we been able to finagle both of them. But Alas, you know, he's with them. We dropped a game to them this week, even though we beat Memphis and Charlotte earlier in the week. Got Chicago tonight. I think that's going to be an easy win. You know, we've got Minnesota without Butler and Indiana probably without Collison. Uh, pretty good chance of a sweep coming up. What do you think? You think there's uh, any, any risks of surprise losses on there? Any trap games? Um, well, I just checked the box score for the Chicago game and we're up 39 to 17 with 934 to go in the second. So I don't, no, no I don't think we're going to yeah. lose that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Minnesota might be tough, but Butler's out and will continue to be out for at least a few more weeks. Uh, I I would be surprised if he comes back before the end of the season, but we'll see. Uh, but Kyrie might also sit that game out, uh, but I, I think I think we can manage to pull it off. And Indiana will be a tricky game. I would probably say that that's our trap game. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Uh, but I think the Celtics have been pretty good uh, on Sundays. Well, playing on Sundays, so I think I think we sweep the week. I hope so. But don't sleep on don't sleep on Indiana. That's for sure. I want to give a shout out to our UK correspondent Josh Coyne, who 
reversed his usual script. He usually gets us the scoop on stuff going on in Europe, like the London game. But he happened to be over here on vacation, and he caught uh, Jalen Brown's Harvard Ask With Forum talk. If you would like to check out Josh's question, it's one of the three or four last questions in the talk. It's right near the end of the video, and you definitely should check out the talk in, in its entirety if you haven't had a chance to yet. That said, you know what's coming. I would like for all of you to check out the top of CelticsLife.com where we have a huge variety of apparel that is Celtics gear you cannot get on any other website. It's completely original to us. And you can even get tickets to the games we were talking about, the home ones anyway, that are happening this week and in the future. So check those out. Find the pod on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, now Google Play, Stitcher, and pretty much any podcatcher app. If you run into a podcatcher app that you regularly use that we are not available on, let us know and we will go out of our way to make that happen. Uh, if you have any kind of a complaint or suggestion or something you just want us to talk about in general, Use the hashtag CLPod, C-L-P-O-D, or any Twitter comment by a Celtics Life writer, any uh, article comment section. Just comment about that and make sure it's clear that you're talking about the podcast, and we will hear you, and we will take it into consideration. If you have the time, we would really appreciate it if you would rate us five stars if you think we deserve it. If you don't think we deserve it, let us know why. You know, please don't rate us a low thing unless you really think we deserve it. I guess in that case, you know, what can we say? But if you if you if you <laughs> want to help us reach more people, rating us five stars is a great way to help us increase our visibility. We don't ask you for any money. We don't throw commercials at you with impunity, clogging it up. You know, our carrier who hosts a podcast throws one in usually at the beginning, but that's the only thing that we ask of you in terms of financial support. It's helping us reach more voices. So if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. We're always trying to bring you Celtics coverage the way you want it, the way you like it. Louis, do you have anything you want to say before we get on up out of here? Let's see. Huh. I don't think so, but I will say one thing. Terry Rozier, if you're listening, please, please do another run of those Scary Terry shirts and hoodies please because i need one they're pretty dope i won't lie check them out y'all they're they're sick and i never i never like things like that but i I have to make an exception for that one 30 bucks 30 bucks i think i might be in that one i'd like 10 bucks (laughs) hey man scary's gotta get his money (laughs) later y'all take care